Every aspect of the Uncanny Robot podcast is brought to life with the help of artificial intelligence, from the stories we tell, to the music and artwork, and even to this description itself. Hosted by Bram Stoker-nominated author Teresa Matsura and sound designer Rich Pav, Uncanny Robot celebrates the most innovative works people have created with artificial intelligence. We invite you to sit back, relax, listen to a fine collection of AI-generated short stories, and if you like, submit one of your own. Hey, Terry. Hey, Richard. Finally, our first episode. I'm so excited. It's been a long time coming. It really has. About a year. Half a year. Six months baking in the brain. (laughs) Six months on one page of the website. (laughs) So what we're doing is we're using AI to make stories. We have a prompt. We put them into the whatever model machine we're using. This tool that we're using to write stories Mm -hmm. that looks at what you feed it, and that's called the prompt, and then it tries to continue writing in the same style as the prompt. For example, if you gave it the first couple of sentences of an obituary, Mm -hmm. it's going to keep writing in an obituary style. The facts of it aren't going to be right, but Mm -hmm. it's going to look like an obituary. Mm -hmm. And if you start writing a story, Hopefully, it's going to keep writing a story, but you never know exactly what it's going to spit out. Right. And that's the the wackiness of it or the humor. Right. So every episode is two stories, one Mm -hmm. assisted by you, one assisted by me. And every episode, we have kind of an overarching theme to the stories. And for the first episode, we're going to do the theme of death. Well, that's nice and cheery. Right. It's also a good, good way to start. Anything. A new podcast series to start talking <laughs> Talk about, about death. death. <laughs> so we're going to start with your story. And what is the title of your story? Mine is Memories of Death. It's a it's a dead guy talking about what it's like to be dead. Cool. Kind of. It, it's kind of started out that way. Didn't finish that way. But that's the way AI stories tend to go. Yes. It's kind of like a dream. It's really interesting is that a dream starts out one way and at the end, you're somewhere entirely else. Right. <laughs> right. And your story? My story is called You Remind Me of Someone. And basically, it's a man who gets made into a vampire and he realizes what he's done. All righty. We are going to just play the first uh, story and then we're going to talk about it. You're listening to Uncanny Robot. Machine written stories read by a human. Read by When I was 12, my parents died. A year and a half later, my sister's twin sister died. And six months after that, I found out my cousin had died. All of these deaths were related to my family. None of them had anything to do with the world around me. When I think back to those days, it was the most confusing, most traumatic time in my life. I remember the grief and the loneliness. I remember how it felt like I was being ripped apart by some unseen force. But I can't remember the details of what those times were like. I'm sure I'm not the only person to go through this, and I wonder if it's because I'm just not remembering them. What's it like not to remember? I remember the details of my own death, 
that part isn't hazy at all. But the details of how I died, of what happened to me, I don't remember. I don't know how it felt. I don't know what my pain was like. I don't know what it felt like to die. I don't know what my experience was like. It's hard to imagine not remembering the experience of your own death, but I've heard from others that it's possible. Some people can choose not to remember. There are reasons for not wanting to. But I think the real reason is, why should I remember? I've decided that I'm going to work on remembering how it felt to die. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's important. In part, I'm writing this to understand the experience better. I'm also writing this to help you understand how it is to be dead. I want to understand what my death would feel like for me if I were able to remember. It's not to compare myself with others, because that would be strange. It's to help me understand what it's like. I don't think it will be easy for me to write this. But I don't think it'll be easy for you to read it either. In a way, it'll be both difficult and comforting. It's going to take me a while to process what I'm writing. You don't have to wait for me to get through it. Go ahead and read it now, and if you're able to, try to imagine what it would be like. And then write back to me and tell me what you think it would be like. I'm not writing this from an ego standpoint. I'm not writing this to be famous or for some other personal benefit. I'm writing it from a desire to understand. If you're like me, and it helps to read this from time to time, that's great. If you just read it once and don't think about it again, that's okay too. I always knew I was going to die. It was just a matter of when. I'd lived long enough to get to this point, and then I'd die. It wouldn't be because I got too old, or had outlived my usefulness. It wouldn't be because someone had killed me. It would happen because, eventually, it's just what was going to happen to me. My body would stop working, and it would stop feeling and thinking. I guess what I'm trying to say is my death would have been inevitable, even though I always knew it was going to happen. I remember feeling really scared when I was young. Like, really scared. When I was five years old, my mother had a nervous breakdown and was hospitalized. While she was in the hospital, I remember feeling really afraid, because I didn't know if my mom was going to die or if she was going to be okay. I don't think I ever realized that what I was feeling was fear. I just felt really, really scared. I don't remember ever being in a situation where I was afraid of dying. I don't remember ever fearing my own death. That's strange because the fear was really intense when I was a kid and I had to know why I was scared. It was a very real and present fear and it still is. It's easy to forget that because there's a very real reason why you fear death. 
Fear of death is completely rational when you think about it. One day, when I must have been about 12 years old, I was visiting my grandmother and I had a little transistor radio with me so I could listen to the radio at her house while I was visiting. I was in the living room, sitting in a chair, watching a movie on the television. My grandmother was sitting in a chair across the room, watching the movie with me. I had that transistor radio in my hand, and I was listening to it. At one point, the announcer said something about a murder being committed somewhere in the United States. A man, who was wearing a white shirt and a dark suit, stepped out on the balcony of his house, looked around for a minute, and jumped to his death. Then the announcer said, Another murder in the United States. I looked at my grandmother, and I could see the shock in her face as the announcer was telling about this man who jumping off the balcony and killing himself. My grandmother said, Where is he? I didn't know what to say. I pointed to the television set, and the announcer was still saying, Another murder in the United States. And the man was jumping off the balcony again, right now. My grandmother said, You mean the man jumped off the balcony on the television? I nodded my head. Yes. She didn't say anything more. She just looked at me and stared into my eyes with her mouth slightly open. And I knew then that she was thinking, What is going on in the world? This was the first time that I realized how terrible the world was. There was an ad campaign at the time that had a song in it. It was something like this. The next day, I listened to the song on the radio. The song said, There are murderers everywhere. I was shocked. It was the first time that I had heard anyone talk about murderers being everywhere. I thought, I'm not a murderer. Why should I be afraid to talk about murder like that? But when I realized that there are murderers everywhere, I was a little afraid of what other people might think of me. It was not safe to talk about murder. If people knew that I was talking about murder, they might think I was a murderer too. It was dangerous for me to talk about murder. My grandmother had been shocked by the news that the man had killed himself, on the television no less. She had been shocked when I told her about the man jumping off the balcony on the television, and I had been shocked when she was shocked. She had been shocked when she heard about that song that was about murder being everywhere. I was shocked that she was shocked. It was as if I were the murderer in the song, and my grandmother was the one who needed to be afraid of me. It was as if the person who had said, there are murderers everywhere, was talking about me. I was afraid, and I was beginning to think that I might be a murderer. I was a little bit afraid of what other people would think of me. I had been brought up in a Christian home, but now the world was saying that I was a murderer. It's not safe to talk about murder, the world was saying, and we should never be afraid to talk about it. No, it was definitely not safe for me to talk about murder. It was not safe for me to listen to the radio or watch television or read a book about murder being everywhere. But there was no way that I could live in the world and not talk about murder. 
There was no way that I could live in a world and not read books or listen to the radio or watch television about murder everywhere. I was a murderer, and there was no way that I could ever escape from that knowledge. And I would never be safe if I lived in a world where murder was everywhere, but not talked about. There were murderers everywhere. But I had not killed anyone, and there was no way that I was going to murder my grandmother even if she did do what she said. What do you think? What is the most important thing for you to consider? The most important thing for me was there were murderers everywhere. I had to speak about murder to everyone. I could not stay silent. But there was another thing that was important for me, too. I was not a murderer. I could never do the things that were described in the song, There Are Murderers Everywhere. There were murderers everywhere, but I was not one of them. I was not a murderer. It was then that I realized I was stuck in a circular thought pattern from which I needed to extract myself. Otherwise, the story I was writing would be a repetition of the pattern of thought that I was trapped in, and that would have been an insult to my grandmother. I decided to make a decision. It was a decision that would change everything. I decided that the pattern that I had been caught up in was a pattern of thought, a pattern of behavior, and that was where I needed to change the direction of my life. I had to break free from the mental imprisonment that I had been living in. That pattern that I was living was my own pattern, and it was that pattern that was holding me back from getting ahead in life. I decided to break that pattern. It was a pattern of behavior that I needed to break out of, and I decided that I had to break out of the pattern of thought that I had been living in and replace that pattern with a pattern of thought that would bring me success and fulfillment. I decided I needed to change. I decided to make a list of everything that was going wrong in my life. And I found out that everything that was going wrong in my life was an example of the pattern that I had been living in, and I decided that I was going to break that pattern. I had to make a decision. Yet still, things were not going well at all. I needed to move the story forward to some other place and time. I turned to my grandmother and asked her, How do I make a difference in the world? She said, By changing the story you're telling yourself. I said, How do I do that? She said, Go to the library. You know, the one where you read stories of great human beings doing great things. And then she added, but if you have a problem, that is another story. And I said, well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change my story. Then, she said, tell that story. So I went to the library and I checked out The World's Greatest Human Being by Max Lucado, who writes Christian fiction. It's not the kind of stuff you're used to reading. You won't find anything exciting or romantic. It's more along the lines of, if it was easy, everyone would do it. It's a story of ordinary people who get in trouble and make a difference. They don't become great human beings, but they do change their stories about themselves and change their lives and leave an impact. It made me want to change the story I was telling myself. The more I read it, the more I started to believe that every day matters, no matter how insignificant it may seem. Every little action, big or small, can make a difference. Every moment, every day, makes a difference. 
No matter how small that impact, it can make a huge difference in other people's lives if we choose to make it. It reminded me to live in the moment and to remember that people around me need me more than I need them. It's important to look out for them and to help them because we have a greater purpose than just ourselves. We are all connected. Okay, I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Your prompt. What did you use for a prompt? Was that something you read somewhere and, and just plugged into the machine or something you came up with? Nope. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea what the prompt for this was because I just plug stuff in. Okay. And when something interesting comes out, uh-huh. I run with it. Okay. That's all. That's my philosophy. I like that. You sound like somebody familiar. I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Where have I heard? Are you famous or something? Do you do another podcast? You're such, a, you're such a joker because you know that I listen channeling? to you know that I listen to Lavar Burton on repeat all day. Yes, you do. Yes, and, you do. And try to imitate him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, nice. well, I like it. The thing is, I don't know what my voice is going to sound like. Right. So I have to start somewhere. That's great, though. So I figure... Yeah, go with the mask. Might as well start with the part <laughs> Start with the mask. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can tell in some of your endings. It's like, oh, there he is. Not only am I channeling LeVar Burton. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also channeling the guy who does the editing for LeVar Burton. Oh, your hero, Brendan. Yeah, Brendan Burns. He's incredible. He... Absolutely. Everybody who works with this editor and sound designer, mm-hmm. they always say, this guy is a genius. And I'm like, this is the guy I want to sound like. And he so, is. He's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I listen to his stuff. I, I play Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> and <laughs> I listen to his stuff. And I, like, hit pause on the game, and I'll go back and just listen to, like, when does he put the sound effects in? And mm. when does he decide to use sound effects? And when does he just let it slide? Mm. Because mm. if you use too much sound effects on mm. a story, it starts to sound like a children's story. Right. It gets cheesy. Yeah. I love AI's absurd reasoning. Yes. <laughs> like, um... I, I should have it written down. Let me let me go back. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is my death was always going to be inevitable, even though I knew it was going, going to, to happen. happen. And that is great, and, and you it just sounds the same thing twice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it just like if you're not paying attention, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I like about it too, because you're going along and you're listening to this, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, wait, wait, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. But then on the wait a minute, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, I can take (laughs) that. Okay, keep going. That might work. (laughs) That's why I think, yeah, it's highly enjoyable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love reading an absurd story. With a straight face. (laughs) Me too, me too, me too. I listen back to it and it it just, I, I just, I crack myself up. Yes, yes. Uh, reading an absurd story with a straight face and believing it. It's, it feels so good. <laughs> I love the way that these stories are so dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Is that it starts out in one place and then you end up... It's kind of meander along. <laughs> and, but but it, it's not like a jump from 
you know, you're in nursery school and then you're riding in a car that nobody's driving or right. something like that, right? It it happens so gradually. You're like, wait, how did I get here? Right. It's so much like a dream. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Another thing I love about the AI that generates stories is that it is so neurotic. <laughs> there is that, yes. It uh, it gets stuck in a thought. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what neurotic people do, I've heard. I, I wouldn't know that from experience. What are you but, looking at me like that for? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I should be looking in the mirror. Anyway, if you've ever had an obsessive thought yes. and you can't stop going back to it, like it's like driving a car on a road that's rutted and mm. you just can't get out of the rut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And AI tends to do that. And you kind of have to kick it out of the rut. Exactly. My story did it too. And you do, yeah. And the one we're going to listen to after this. But um, it was a conversation. But it just kept going. And they just kept going around and around. And it was the same thing said in different ways. And then over and over again. And And you have to play with the the parameters. Yes. Well, well, I played with just nudging it. Like, you know, you you cut it off. And then you just kind of nudge it in another direction. But you're right. I like the the neurotic aspect. There was a part in the story where it would not shut up about whether or not I was a murderer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shut up, you neurotic twit. <laughs> Just talk about something else, right? So I had to add another prompt. Okay. And my prompt was, and then I suddenly realized it out. that... <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, right? right exactly. I was like, and then I suddenly realized I can't stop thinking about this. <laughs> I have to think about something else. And then it went into... I have to stop thinking about something else. And it, it, it stopped figured doing it that. out. And then, and then I was like, geez, this isn't working. Okay, I'm going to ask Grandma what to do. And then it worked. Isn't that and, crazy? And, and, then, and then Grandma said, go to the library. <laughs> There's the answer right there. I love it. And I'm like, thank you, Grandma. I don't know where the hell you're from, but you just saved my story. <laughs> I still want to know what she did that she needs to be killed for, but okay. <laughs> she must have told him. I mean, or somehow he found out. And maybe the reason why he's so neurotic about whether or not he's a murderer, he's like, I should kill grandma, but I can't because <laughs> she's my grandmother, but she's just, she deserves to die. And I can't tell you what she did <laughs> because it's, it's so bad. bad. <laughs> That's what the whole story is about. <laughs> and then there's the fact that this guy's dead. Yes. So does that have something to do with it? There are so many unanswered questions. I love that the story ends on this bullshit, right? (laughs) It has nothing to do with the beginning of the story, but it's such a positive message that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I listened to all of that and here we go. Oh, that was rewarding. Exactly, isn't it? That's a nice way to end. That was great. Uh, That was a lot of fun. That that was fun to, to make it and it was fun to read it and... The part in between where you make it and you read it and you have to think about, well, how am I going to portray this and whatever? Mm-hmm. That The whole thing was just a whole lot of fun. And then after I did the reading, uh-huh. I had to do the, what do you call it? The um, audio? Yeah, the, uh, what do you call music. it? The, the sound, right, um, right. sound design. Right. I had to do the sound design and, you know, figure out the music and everything like that. And it was just so much fun. But the thing is, nothing was easy. There was no part of that that was like a walk in the park. True, true. But it came together so well that I'm really happy with it. And I'm really happy to share it. I love it. It's a great story. And I don't know. 
Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, so next is your story. Yes. How do you want to introduce it? So this story, I just had an image, and I had an image of a man that had just been made into a vampire, and he's kind of in a church graveyard at night, and he's thinking. Wow, your prompt is really well developed. The first probably two sentences is that prompt. I don't have the the, the script in front of me, but it was like two, maybe three sentences, and then I just let it go and see what happened, and what happened happened. Yeah. Um... In future episodes, yes, we will have the script in, <laughs> in front of us. Because <laughs> so we, we didn't can... <laughs> think about that until we got halfway through it. So we're like, we should have the script. Cause, exactly. Yeah, because we're listening to it. Yeah, on each other's Yeah, because we're listening on. to it. And we're like, you know, you listen what to was it. that line? Yeah. <laughs> I read it three times, but yeah. yeah. Whoopsie. We'll do that next time. Anyway, here's Terry's story. You remind me of someone. I woke to find myself all alone in this old graveyard, a vampire in the rain. What happened? I thought to myself. And it was then you started shrieking your head off. Oh well, a lot of good that did me. Still, now you've got me out here at midnight trying to figure out how I'm going to get home without a ride. Not that it matters much. There's no place left for me to go anyway. There are no jobs, and my friends would never understand why I have to leave town. After what happened to my family. Well, I guess I'll just have to find another way home tonight. And make sure it works better than last time. Maybe I won't go home at all. The weather was cold and damp. I huddled up against the church wall and wished I'd brought along some warm clothes. The wind whistled through the cracks between the stones, and then it occurred to me, if I knew that the spirits were angry with me for leaving them so soon after I'd come back from the dead, maybe they could use their magic to help me find a ride home. But first, I needed something else. It wasn't long before I found what I was looking for. Right by the church, there was an old stone bench covered in ivy. There was a small sign near the base of the bench that said, Your place to rest. It looked like a nice place to sit and rest. I climbed onto the bench and I sat down, leaning back against the cool gray stone. And I closed my eyes and let the cold rain patter on my face. I didn't feel very tired. I just felt lonely. I guess you could say I missed the sound of someone else's voice. Maybe I should call her. Rachel! I shouted into the night. It's your brother, Jake. Are you there? There was no answer. But then I heard a sound coming from somewhere nearby. It sounded like footsteps. They stopped. Then I heard another set of footsteps, and then another, each one getting closer and closer until suddenly there was a soft thump as the steps landed right next to me. I opened my eyes. The streetlight shone down on a young girl who stood over me. It was Rachel, my older sister. But how could she be here after? She was wearing a white dress with red flowers on it. 
Her skin was pale and creamy and her hair was a beautiful shade of black. Her dark brown eyes looked kind and sad. And I realized that she was carrying a large box wrapped in brown paper. Hello, I said. I stood up and took a step forward. She took a step backward. Who are you? What are you doing here? I shrugged. Rachel, it's me. Why are you scared of me? Her eyes went wide. Scared of you? Yes. You don't know who I am, do you? No. Well, it's okay. I don't blame you. I look pretty scary when I'm drunk. I waved my hand dismissively. Just forget I said anything. It's late. Let's just get inside before you catch a cold. She didn't move. But... Please, Rachel, just go home. You don't want to be out here in this weather, do you? She shook her head. You're not human, are you? She asked, squinting at me. What makes you think that? You're so pale. Your eyes, they're so weird. I've never seen eyes like yours before. And your hair is strange. Is, is that really your hair? I rolled my eyes. Yeah, I know. My hair looks terrible. But listen, Rachel, I'm going to get sick if we don't go inside. So will you please just come with me and I'll explain everything, okay? She nodded. She reached out and put her hand on mine. Okay, she whispered. Let's go. I led her around the stone wall of the church. As we walked, I noticed that she kept glancing back at the bench. She'd left the package there. I didn't ask her about it because I already knew what it meant. The place where I was supposed to be buried. But I did wonder, who was I going to meet up with in the morning? The lights were all off in the church. I saw some candles flickering through the stained glass windows. We had to walk through the graveyard to get to the front door. The storm was getting worse. It was pouring down hard now. I could hear the drops striking the ground. It was so loud. Rachel started shivering. You're freezing, I told her. Sorry. Here. I said, reaching into my pocket. Take my jacket. She hesitated for a moment, but then took it. I wrapped it around her shoulders and she smiled at me gratefully. Thank you, she said. But why are you helping me? You remind me of someone, I replied. Someone I miss. We reached the heavy church doors. Why was there a carving of a demon on the knocker? I pushed them open. Inside, everything was very dark except for the candles. A big crucifix hung on the wall above us. The sanctuary had been converted into a single large room. It was lined with pews on both sides. There were more candles than I could count. I don't understand, Rachel said quietly. Why are we here? Because you remind me of someone, I answered. Something happened to me tonight. I was bitten. I went mad. What? That's the secret, I replied. I don't have much time left. 
That's why I need to find out what's going on. So you came to the church? Not just any church, I said. This is where they brought me when I was sick. I was here for three days, three days of darkness. And then I woke up and everything was different. How? I can't explain it. All I know is that things are different now. But what do you mean? She asked. They turned me into a vampire. Look at these magnificent fangs. I showed her my teeth. Vampire, she whispered. Yeah, a bloodsucker. And that's what they wanted. They were trying to make a monster out of me. Make me one of them. But it didn't work. Why not? Because I killed myself in order to save my life. You what? I nodded. When I was in here, I found a Bible, and I read it. I knew how to do it, so I did it, took a knife and cut my wrists. She was looking at me in horror. I couldn't tell anyone else, I continued. I had to pretend I was crazy. I couldn't risk anybody finding out. Then I pretended I was a vampire, but... But what? I'm not a real vampire. Not yet, anyway. I have to feed. I haven't fed, haven't taken any blood. Then how? I have no idea. Maybe it's something in the air, or maybe my body has changed somehow. Changed? I nodded. It feels different. It aches sometimes. Are you sick? No, but my mind, well, it's messed up. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm scared, Rachel. You should be, she said. I am. I just wish I understood the secret better. She was quiet for a long time. What do you mean, the secret? She finally asked. The secret of who I am. Rachel began to cry in great sobs. I don't understand. Are you a vampire or not? You have the fangs? There's blood all over your shirt, but yet you say you aren't. Yeah, I guess so. Then what are you? I sighed. I'm still me, Rachel. Just different. A little crazier, maybe. Drunk, definitely. I have to figure this out. She stared at me, her face wet with tears. Is there anything I can do? No, Rachel. I'm sorry for what happened back home with Mom and Dad and the dog, Richard. Oh, Richard she added. I'm so angry at him. Me too, but he's not worth it. Did he ever hurt you? She asked. Yes. Then kill him. Kill him right now. I tried, I said. But you're not a killer. I am now. He was going to bite me again. This time I would have let him. He would have killed you, she said. I don't think so. I saw his eyes. They were afraid. They were afraid of me. But he's smart. He'll wait until I'm asleep. He knows what I really am. He's right, you know. We can't trust you, she said. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have to. You have to feed, she said. That's what vampires do. You can't go on like this. I won't feed on you, I promise. But someone, 
sometime. I can't tell you how. I have to keep it a secret. Why? If people find out, they might try to turn me into a monster like my parents did, my grandfather. And they'd probably kill you, too. Why? Because you remind me of someone. She sat down beside me. Who? My sister, Rachel. But I am Rachel, aren't I? She asked. Her expression was confused. I'm your sister, right? Yeah. Your real name is Rachel, and you look exactly like my dead sister. You mean, really, I'm her? Yeah. She gasped and began to cry again. I'm her, I'm really her, and I'm dead, do you say? Yes, but there's a problem with you being her, you see, I said. Tonight, after I got really drunk and after I went out in the rain and they came at me, they turned me into one of them. And then you died, she said. Yeah, because I was stupid enough to cut my wrists. So now you're stuck here, stuck in this coffin with me. I guess we'll just have to stay together, Rachel. Together forever, she said. Yeah, forever. Because I was the one who murdered our family, all of you. I went insane. I was drunk and mad and I was a vampire or a ghost. I don't remember. I'm sorry, Rachel. She looked away. Don't be. It wasn't your fault. You were born different. Born evil. Our father did it. He always hated you. Well, I took care of that, didn't I? I said with a little laugh. I'm just sorry about you and Richard, though. Richard, our dog, Rachel said. He was a swell dog. Maybe he'll come back to us, I said. If dogs can be ghosts, that is. I hope so. I love him. I know. Me too. Will you help me find him? She asked. I will try. It could take some time, though. She wiped her eyes. I can't sleep. Not with you here. I don't want to think anymore. Do you remember how to make the flowers bloom? She nodded. I wonder if you can still do that. We'll see, she said. Maybe. You should try. Blooming flowers in the rain in this church. It would be beautiful. She held her breath and closed her eyes. In seconds, the candle flames burst into flowers inside the church. Red and yellow and bluebells. Rachel opened her eyes. Wow, she said. It worked. Maybe it worked everywhere. Let's go outside. Let's play in the rain. Okay, come on. We left the coffin and went out into the night. The cool air smelled of rain and spring. The stars were bright and tiny flowers were everywhere. Rachel ran ahead of me. So I stood on the edge of the graveyard and I watched as my sister played in the rain and jumped in flower puddles with a dog named Richard. A dog we both loved. The end. The first part 
And the story that made me laugh was when he's ruminating on the bench that said, has a little sign that says, sit here and you can rest. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's what I want to do. And he says, yeah, I should call her. And that's where it stopped at that point. And I was like, oh, okay, he should call. I wonder who he's going to call, like an old girlfriend or something. And then he just belts out, Rachel. And I just thought that was so hilarious. I'm like, oh, literally call her. Okay, there you went. That's good. Um, So there, yeah, from there I knew this was going to be a lot of fun. Can we talk about the sound effects on this one? There are two kinds of sound effects Mm -hmm. in movies or TV or anything. There are diegetic sounds and non-diegetic sounds. And I can never remember the word (laughs) diegetic, but diegetic (laughs) means that the character can hear it. Oh, I like that. Okay. I didn't use any non-diegetic sounds. The only non-diegetic sound in your story Uh is your narration. Oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating. So So everything that we hear in this story, the POV character, the main, the protagonist, can hear. The rain, the thunder. And now that you know the difference between (laughs) diegetic sounds and non-diegetic sounds, remember, non-diegetic sounds are the sounds that the characters can't hear. Mm -hmm. You will hear them in everything (laughs) you ever watch or listen ever again in your life. Non-diegetic sounds are taking over. Oh, okay. I think um, they never stop. We watched Inception. We watched uh, Inception. We watched. They were constant. It wasn't Inception. It was the other one. His other new one. Oh, um, sorry. We uh, watched Tenet. Uh, we watched Tenet. Yes. And the non-diegetic sounds were constant. Yeah, yeah. The booze, right. the drones. And the... you know what? Even documentaries now in, ah, on... on I hear them all the time. I don't know if they were always there, and I didn't know they were there. Right. But I hear them all the time now. It's also a way, it feels like it's a way to control emotion of the listener, right? Yes. I'm guessing. Right. Exactly. That's that's what they do. That's what. That's non, their point. That's, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm getting they're supposed to do. Okay. And can I also say that this is actual binaural recording that... I recorded the rain. The rain. Yeah. yeah, it was out. Um, I took the I, I took the mic. It was started started to rain. It was thundering lightly, and I took the mics out and stuck them under our little. What is that? Car park. It is kind of a car park, yes. And yeah, you got to use that. And I think you used um, footsteps. One of our <laughs> footsteps later in this in the in the episode. Whenever we do field recordings, I hate the sound of footsteps in them because they're very distracting. Yeah. But now. Now that we're doing drama, I need footsteps. And I have to look through the beginning and end of recordings we've done for the footsteps that aren't going to be in the main recording. And then I need to use them. Mm -hmm. So from now on, when we do field recordings for Uncanny Japan, Mm -hmm. we need to record footsteps and no footsteps. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. So Rachel shows up carrying a box. Yes. And we never find out what's in the box. As a writer, did that bother you? It bothered me. Did you left me. that dangling? Uh, uh, I didn't leave it dangling, actually. They, AI, my machine, novel AI, left it dangling. She shows up with a box wrapped in brown paper. And then the box was never mentioned again. She had the box. She's holding it. And then they walk away together. She looks back and he's like, oh, this is the place I should have been buried. So I actually did go in and I put that when she looked back, 
the box was there because it's gone. You had Chekhov's gun in this story and it didn't go off. It didn't go off. Right. Right. (laughs) Can you, do you want me to explain? You can probably explain it better than I can. Chekhov's gun. Well, basically, you know, in in scene one or when you have have a story and you have a gun over a mantelpiece and you point to the gun, you show the reader that there is a gun. Later, it has to show up and later it has to go off and something has to happen. Why is it called Chekhov's gun? Who's Chekhov? Chekhov? Chekhov did it first. Oh, stop being. No, I, I, no, no, I, I really <laughs> Chekhov, don't know. The, the, no, honestly, the God, author, I don't. Chekhov. Who, I, who, what did he write? I don't know. Chekhov. Chekhov's I'm... fucking famous, and, and I'm embarrassing myself here by this will not go. Because <laughs> you don't know. Oh, I like, don't know where I know so who famous Chekhov. And you're so dumb for not knowing who <laughs> Chekhov is. And here she is typing into her phone. <laughs> Chekhov's gun. Right. <laughs> 101. Let me read to you. Okay, let me read to you. Let me tell you from memory who Chekhov was, you, okay. you ignorant clod. Oh, you, <laughs> you peons. Uh, so Ch- Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that suggests that the details within a story or a play okay. will continue. I just want to make sure you're reading for Wikipedia because that's not copyrighted. Oh, no, I'm not going to. Oh, I'm not going to. Okay. I don't want this to okay. be on. I'm just reading for a joke for herself. So Anton Chekhov. Tell me uh, you don't know who Anton Chekhov He's a playwright. What did he write? Uncle Vanya, The Seagull. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, The Seagull. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite Broadway play. I know all the songs. <laughs> <laughs> they go like this. La, la, <laughs> so the opposite of a Chekhov's gun. I would guess would be a red herring. Like you put something in the story that doesn't do anything. So in this case, it would be a red herring, no? Yep, I guess so. No, because I don't know if it follows the rules of a red herring. Uh, I think we not. have to look it up. Yeah, you're right. Maybe because not. because a red herring is something that fools people into thinking one way when it's actually something else. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There was it was just yeah. obnoxious AI is what it was. Right. And there was there was something at the way at the beginning of the story mm-hmm. where there was somebody who screamed. Yes. And I was like, Oh, was that the sister or not? And and why did you leave that in? But why I left why, why it did you in. leave it in? I did. I just left it in because that's the way the story went. But yeah, at the beginning the first paragraph of the story was second person. You, 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 you mm. shrieked your head off. You did this. Mm. You did, and then it just changed. It just went into third the person. The you disappeared. And I, I just left it in just for um, shits, shits and, and giggles. giggles. Yeah. I, I don't even know why. I, I could have gone through and changed it. But as much as possible, I do want to be true to Yeah, me the, too. Right? Because right. it would be easy for me to go in and just tidy everything up right. and make it, you know, t- you know. Make all the bows and in, in, in the. Well, I'm different. I don't know how to do that, so I just <laughs> let it all slide. <laughs> Your story was really good, though. You recently tortured me by reading <laughs> through the Looking Glass. Oh yes. For yes. for our podcast, soothing stories. Yes. I hated that book, but yeah, <laughs> she reminds me of Alice. Did you get the Alice vibe from? What was, did the sister ever have a name in the story? This is Rachel. Oh, Rachel. Okay. Right, right, okay. Right, right. That's right. But but you're right. She's very, and, and the conversation did that. It was kind of just, whatever he said, she was this, this um, simpering, you know, how do you say that? Simpering what? That's very interesting. Is it, it's quite misogynistic. Yes. That she's a weak character. Yes. And I find that, that is a problem. 
with AI. Well, not really, because I did write another story, and asteroid Annie shows up, and she's a ass-kicking <laughs> superhero. So it's. It, I think it depends on what the AI gets caught up in, what mm. it decides this character is supposed to be. So in this case, you know, Rachel was this, you know, you're going to catch a cold, you need a jacket. So it it just kind of peg-holed her. Peg-holed her? No. It just kind of pigeonholed her. <laughs> peg-holed her. What are you, Terry, what are you thinking about? <laughs> Wrong. Sorry, I'm so sorry. It just kind of, it just kind of pigeonholed her into this kind of weak, daft um, woman, which is, you know, it's horrible. But whatever, it's it's the character in the story. Um, other stories I have written since this one, the women have been a lot stronger, which I enjoy. But I, I'm okay with it just because it's what it is. She is playing off what her brother is, right? And she's important to the story because of his emotional connection to her. The rest of the family he really didn't care about. But, you know, there's all kinds of dynamics in life. And this is one of the dynamics. And yeah, I kind of grabbed it and ran with it. So I let it go. Okay, I'll buy that. For five. I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) You're going to say something about the dog? (laughs) A swell dog. I love that. It's a swell I love dog. That. Right, right after she says, "You should have killed him." I know <laughs> that. Like the AI can't can't remember whether it's a good dog or it a bad dog. It can remember that Rachel that he's a vampire and that Rachel is his sister. But yeah, that emotion that um, that the dog is good or bad, it it just turns and and, and does a, uh, a one eighty. But. What I really like is it's it's way in the story. It's deep in the story, and it's almost over when you find out that he murdered his whole family, right? And that's kind of like a dream. That like dreams happen that way, right? I guess where you know, I have dreams where I'm watching somebody do something, like rob a bank, yeah. and then they get caught, and then I'm I'm the bank robber. Ah, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's that. I, I love that it's kind of like a lucid dream. No. A lucid dream is a dream you can control, right? But you're not control. We kind of not controlling a dream. Mm-mm. But to me, it's that's a, what makes it really, really fun. Is that you don't know the way it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but you have a written record of it, as opposed to a dream where, where you, like, you forget it all yes. unless you write it down when you wake up. Right. Exactly. What I like is just that the way the story progressed. We know he's a vampire, and at the very beginning, he said something happened to my family. Right. That's at the very beginning. And you kind of, I, you know, I kept that in there and we're going along, we're going along. And then he comes out at the very end, you know, at the end is where I stopped it. And he says, yeah, and I murdered my whole family, which suddenly it explains like her being dead and then being ghost. I killed myself and all this stuff and the dog bit him. But the dog knows who he really is because the dog can probably sense that. But yet the dog's a ghost, too. I have all these questions and they're really good questions and they're are no answers to any of my questions, which is kind of something I like about the yeah, AI. It's, it's like the it's like the TV series Lost. I only got two seasons in before I had to stop. I went through all six seasons because Ooh. I wanted to know the answers, and then never said what the answers were. It was I was all so. A dream. <laughs> it was a dog's dream, right? The whole thing. It might as well have been. <laughs> Well, yeah, they, they were they were always joking. I swear to God, they were always joking on the podcast that the two head writers that the last show was going to be a monkey named Chiefs in a smoking jacket <laughs> in front of a fireplace who just explains everything because the, the ending was always going to be the same and everything in the middle was just fluff. It's all a dream. 
It's easy when it's all a dream, right? <laughs> you can do anything you want. Out. That was oh, it such is. a cop-out. Anyway, what's nice is that this only lasts like 15 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, not six years. Right. <laughs> You're not that invested in the characters. This was so much fun. <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> well, all of it. Yeah, let's, all we need, next printouts, take notes. I think that'll kind of like, yeah, narrow well, down you know, like what we have to say. Live and learn. Yeah, no, right. no, that's fine. I think for the first episode, it's going to be good. You, you need to figure out how the hell you're going to edit all this. It's probably like, how many hours? What time is it? Yeah, really. I know. <laughs> it is six, four, three. We've been here since what, three o'clock? Right. Three, four hours. But mm. I, I don't know exactly how to say this to the people who are listening mm-hmm. is I really enjoy doing this mm-hmm. and we need to pay our bills. Yes. I hate to say that. I wish we had like a big sponsor who was, mm-hmm. you know, sending us wheelbarrows full of money <laughs> and, you know, dumping them in the entrance and we roll around in them naked and we <laughs> take what we need to pay our bills and we put everything else in the bank so that, you know, we won't die poor. Yeah. But th- <laughs> we have to put out our tin cup and oh. say, if you enjoyed this, throw us some shackles. Mm. Because you know, the only way we can do this is if people donate to us. I really hate saying that. But it's true. But it's true. This is this is the this is the economy that we're we're in right now. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us because right now what's supporting us is my dwindling savings. <laughs> I would love to be able to do this for a living. How are we gonna we got we gotta end this? Okay. Um, oh yeah. So I have I have an outro we're gonna play. Okay. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Uncanny Robot Podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please support this show and all our other shows by donating, subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or spreading the word on social media. I'm Rich Pav. And I'm Teresa Matsura. UncannyRobotPodcast.com has transcripts of all episodes, information on how to contact us, ways to support the show financially, and how to submit your own stories for possible inclusion in a future episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.